Welcome to Main Engine Cutoff. I am Anthony Colangelo, and I've got a special guest with me today, Mr. Kurt Klaus. How's it going, Kurt? It's great. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited for this conversation. Um, I'll give a little background in a second how we got here, but I would love to hear from you first, uh, your bio, your work, your background, anything else that's relevant in the space realm from your side of things. Sure. I, I would be doing my... Uh lunar scientist friends a disservice by claiming that I'm a lunar scientist. I know that's how I was introduced to you, but I'm, <laughs> I'm probably more uh, uh, accurately categorized as an exploration scientist. I uh, started my career in exploration geophysics and oil and gas in the uh, early 1980s. Um, uh, I started in aerospace, I believe it was 1988, uh, was hired by McDonnell Douglas in the space station program. They didn't hire me because I was a, a geologist. They hired me because I knew my way around computer systems. But over the course of the 27 years I was there, I convinced them that there was value in my uh, exploration geology. I, I ended up getting a master's from U of H in planetary geology. So I'm a planetary scientist more than I would call myself a, a lunar scientist. Uh, and while at Boeing, I, I worked on virtually every program from uh, the early days of space station freedom all the way up to proposals for planetary missions uh, for the SLS uh, and and all of those, those sorts of things. I, I retired, I think it's been about three years ago now, and uh, my main activities related to space these days are I'm the chair of the Commercial Advisory Board for the Lunar Exploration and Analysis Group, or LEAGUE. Um, I think that pretty much brings us up to date. Yeah, so the way we got introduced, uh, about a month ago, I had Steve Altimus and Tim Crane of Intuitive Machines on the show. We were talking about their work in the way of the Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program. Um, during the course of talking about their Nova Sea Lander, uh, we mentioned, you know, it would be cool to have somebody come on from the perspective of somebody interested in the payload side of that program, uh, not just the, you know, the engineering side, um, to talk about the effects that that might have on the environment of exploration at the moon, but also beyond that, potentially. Uh, so Tim hooked us up as somebody that could potentially talk to that side of it. So I'd love to uh, hear from you, if you've been following along with that CLIPS program so far, what you make of it thus far, the, the potential for it in the near future, and, and how you see that fitting into the exploration landscape. I'll do my best there, Anthony. So uh, the, the Commercial Advisory Board, or CAB, I'm going to call it CAB from here on out, um, was formed, I, I believe it was 2015. Uh, Clive Neal, who was the league chair at that time, asked me to put together, or see if I could put together uh, a group of uh, commercially minded folks. At that time, there, there wasn't a program. Uh, the Google Lunar X Prize was probably as close to a program as, as we could call it. And, and the NASA had what was called the Lunar Catalyst, and there were three companies involved in that, Mastin, uh, Moon Express, and Astrobotic. Um, so the, we formed the cab out of the 
the Lunar Catalyst uh, awardees and as many of the Google Lunar X Prize people as we could we could get together, um, along with some academics and some NASA, uh, I, I would call them customers, people that were interested in ISRU, people that have been paying attention to mining off off the planet, like Leslie Gersh and uh, a fellow at Caterpillar. Um, so that was the beginning of, of the cab. Uh, since then, uh, Eclipse has become an actual program, and most of the Eclipse providers are also members of our cab. Um, it would be hard for me to say how influential we were in, in getting that program going, but um, the fact that it's here is pretty great. So two of the Two of the people that are actually, or two of the teams that are actually flying payloads in 2021 are also members of the CAB. That would be Intuitive Machines and Astrobotic. So maybe along, I thought it'd be worthwhile to give a little bit of background as to how we got where we were, we are today. Um, I think CLIPS has the potential of being huge if it continues to stay funded and uh, once success is demonstrated, and, and I have no uh, reason to think that these companies aren't going to be successful. They've been, they put a lot of uh, their own money and expertise and testing into these vehicles. Um, so I think it's going to be quite huge. Uh, I just gave a talk at the uh, CAPS fall meeting in Pasadena uh, last week and was approached by MEPAG, uh, who were asking, that's the Mars Exploration uh, Group, uh, who were also interested in perhaps forming a cab uh, for, for Mars. So I don't want to put thing, you know, the cart before the horse, whether or not that happens, I don't know. And I'm not, well, um, I'll, I'll stop there. I, I hope I've answered your question. No, absolutely. The, the context there is, is really good to, to hear. Um, there's a lot of times when it feels similar to the way that the commercial cargo and crew programs started on the ISS, where there's precursors and people talking about the potential for a different kind of program. Um, and then when commercial cargo, you know, got rolling, people started realizing that it could really work out. And that's when the commercial crew idea came along as an actual program, not just some development contracts. And I, I sort of see a similar relationship there between CLIPS and something that could uh, look out towards Mars as, you know, CLIPS is, a, is an attainable first step for this kind of uh, model, because uh, it really is a model shift. You know, it's a, it's a mindset shift in how we fly to the moon. Um, but if it works out, I, I definitely see there being a lot of space for other planetary destinations. So it's cool to hear that even, you know, some of these different uh, groups in the industry are, are thinking about it already. Um, you mentioned that there's two people signed up to fly payloads already. Uh, there was a third that has now kind of fizzled out. So I'm curious if uh, you had any thoughts on on the way that we've already seen some shakeups uh, within the, the providers that have been selected from NASA, if that was something that you had talked about the potential for and designing a program to to be ready to accept, you know, good successes, but also some failures along the way as well. Yeah, so I had nothing really to do with how CLIPS was set up, but um, I've heard I've heard them speak about it, and they they do expect there will be some 
some risk involved, uh, and they're they're at least at this stage willing to accept some some uh, some more of that risk. They've also talked about creating on ramps for more more companies. So the there are nine companies awarded right now. Uh, I shouldn't put it that way. Maybe there are nine clips providers in the current queue, and and the first round. Uh, of task order was was simply to get this list uh, together and and the being on the list gives them the right to propose for actual missions. So the task order two uh, had three awardees. One has since dropped out, but uh, that's how all that's that's how all that's working. Uh, to go back to something you said earlier, I saw Rick Tumlinson uh, give a talk. Oh, goodness, it's been a long time ago now, but it was about uh, commercial space. And he was maintaining that once uh, once a domain is understood, like, uh, like uh, Earth orbit, um, it's time for the government to step out of the way and let commerce come in and provide the services. So that's really what happened for commercial crew. And well, commercial crew hasn't happened yet, but commercial cargo certainly. So a question might be asked is, are we ready ready for that to be the case on the moon? And I, I would maintain that we're pretty close to that. Um, there, there are things like heavy lift vehicles that maybe are still government need to be government provided because of the cost. But uh, I think the uh, commercial launch providers like Blue Origin and SpaceX are, they may be able to provide that, that service as well. So um, from the uh, payload side of things, you know, you've got this experience at the commercial advisory board. I'm, I'm curious if there's any of the uh, any people that have been talking to you about how to interact with these new services in terms of payloads, uh, you know, coming from the old world where it was a government-run, uh, you know, program every once in a while, we haven't really sent anything to the moon in quite a long time, so maybe there isn't any uh, current experience with that, but um, are there any any kind of mindset shifts from the payload provider side that you've been talking with over the past couple of years as this kind of commercial opportunity has come about? Uh... Yeah, so a couple of things in that regard. The uh, this first set of missions will be, uh, at least initially, the the payloads are provided by NASA. Now that's not to say that the the uh, launch providers can't go out and get their own payloads. And I believe that both Astrobotic and Intuitive Machines are carrying other payloads other than NASA. So that's a shift. Uh, the next round of uh of proposals the the payloads will be provided by academia and uh the commercial sector uh those payloads ha have been selected um you can find that information online to see see what they are i don't know that that's necessarily different because they're the the providers are the usual suspects um academia uh, NASA. I, I think they're 
Well, let's see. That now they NASA couldn't provide payloads for that second round. They had to, they were coming from outside of NASA. So what happens beyond that? I'm not sure. Once once it's proven uh, that these these providers can go to the moon and land safely and and carry and operate the payloads, I think that door will be swung quite wide open. I don't know how big the market is for uh, non-NASA payloads, but I bet the uh, providers have some idea of that. Um, it's interesting to me to note that like Astrobotic has uh, DHL as a partner, so their vision is to become the DHL for payload deliveries to the moon. Yeah, I like that. I like that they can slap the sticker on there and look like yeah. just another delivery service. Yeah, I'm curious that that's another thing that uh, comes up is is the frequency of access to the lunar surface in comparison to what we've had historically. Um, that that has potential to be a pretty big shift in the market as well. And whether that means, you know, like you're saying, maybe there isn't a huge demand for the number of companies or organizations interested in sending something to the moon. But the fact that they could do it over and over again with a much higher frequency than before. Um, do you have any thoughts on on how that might change things in you know, maybe the launch and landing market, but also the payload side of things as well for universities or other organizations? Mm. Well, it sure isn't going to hurt. Uh, there's a whole lot of the moon left to explore. A lot of questions that could be answered by by uh, these small landers. Some of the scientific low-hanging fruit uh, could be done by uh, sample, sample return or in situ sample analysis. I think, uh, although they haven't proven a launch capability back from the lunar surface to the uh, to the Earth, that's just a matter of understanding the requirements and doing the engineering. I have no, uh, no doubt that they'll be able to do that. Um, another Another thing I think these little landers are, are well suited for is delivering things like small rovers for prospecting. And, and I'm talking about prospecting like it's done uh, on this planet. For oil and gas, they don't companies don't just go out and stick a hole in the ground and claim success. There's a lot of of work uh, that goes into exploring the the uh i'll say ore body or the the resource um so I, for the moon looking for volatiles that would be you know grids of of several uh kilometers not just a single point analysis now it's yet to be it's yet to be proven that uh the country or or NASA has the will to go into that level of prospecting, and there's a lot of work that has to be done before we even take that step, like characterizing the characterizing the deposits. Um, it's curious you bring that up, though, because the resource prospector was something that NASA was going to be uh, working on. That got canceled, I think, last year. Um, but they've said that the payloads are supposed to be divided up among these early missions. So. Um, you know, there, there is some interest there from the prospecting side. Well, they're called, so to me, that's not prospecting. It's a science experiment and it may, 
may give some ground truth, but it's it's not prospecting. And prospecting to me would be a fleet of rovers like that uh, doing a detailed analysis, getting ready for you know the first uh, the first test of of um, production production on the moon. I believe uh, NASA is is working on what they're calling a prospecting rover. Um, but I don't have a lot of details on that. It's always, it's tricky because there was a lot of drama around that one, so I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Um, well, yeah, and some of the people involved in that have been, spent their entire careers on developing those payloads and trying to get them to fly. And it's a it's a shame that it was it was canceled uh, sooner or later. Those those payloads are going to whether it's those payloads or something like them. Yeah, derivatives of some sort. Yeah, one of these days we'll do it. <laughs> That's for sure. I'm uh the the one thing I'm struck by with with clips so far is, you know, this list of nine companies, I guess eight now. Um that is quite a selection of of companies and ideas and architectures to land on the lunar surface. And when you compare it to something like launch services here on Earth, um NASA doesn't have quite as long of a list when they're trying to get something up into orbit. And that seems like an area where, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of, of that built-in shakeout period from NASA saying, well, we know not all eight are going to be successful or all nine, as they've already proven out. Um, do you think that has potential to, uh, is that a good thing that there are so many providers on that list? Or do you think maybe, you know, having a more slimmed down list in the way that the U.S. Air Force does or even NASA, NASA launch services, uh, do you think there's benefits with a smaller, more focused subset? Well, that's a that's a pretty interesting question. Um, and just to go back to what you were saying about there being eight providers, there are still nine providers. I don't think we can write Orbit Beyond off just yet. They they dropped they dropped out of the first award, but they didn't drop out of. I don't think they the dropped. That's out. a good point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so what'll happen? Uh, you know, businesses typically uh, absorb other businesses. So I think um, it's way too early to tell, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some consolidation of these companies as the market establishes itself and and uh, successes are you know come together. They they all all the companies offer different offer different things. They're definitely not the same. Uh, you know, the, the service, I suppose, is the same, but their landers aren't all the same. Some of them have rovers that they've developed. That was part of the Google Lunar X Prize. They have uh, uh, a, a rover do some, some, level of, some level of task. And uh, so some of them have rovers. Um, but like I said, it's way too early to tell if if or when that consolidation will take place. I'm curious if you have any particular hopes in the CLIPS program or any particular fears in what this kind of program might present us in the near future. Well, my, my hope is that they show early success. And I, like I said earlier, I, I have no reason to think that they won't. Um, I think they're they're going to get to the surface of the moon before before NASA is, and I think that's a good that's a good thing. Uh, my my fear, um, 
maybe that we lose the will to do these kinds of things, we as a nation. Uh, but I, I don't really think that's going to happen either. I think the, the market will step up and, and, uh, and, and fill, in the, fill in the void. Um, there isn't really a good model yet for doing, doing uh, commercial science. Uh, and as, as an example, let's say NASA doesn't really want to or, or can't afford to do the sample return missions. What, what if there's some other kind of funding that's available for that and, and that's done another way? That, to me, that would be pretty awesome. But whether that, whether that will happen, I don't know. Um, it's also possible that there would be someone or a company that would be interested in, in selling lunar samples and you know, bringing back you know, it would be for non-scientific reasons. Um, yeah, but certainly we've seen that the, those kind of uh, material samples sell for quite a bit on auctions or, or other ways that they've been out in the market. They've sold for quite a lot of cash. Right. So there would, would or could be a market for that. Um, I'd really rather see the science questions addressed because um, there's, there's still a lot to do. And will remain a lot to do, and a lot of it can be done with simple, simple landers and grab and go samples. You don't necessarily need a detailed analysis at each and every site. The uh, one of the best, maybe a blessing in disguise for clips from from where I'm sitting is the fact that it is kind of the the smaller, younger sibling of the Artemis program right now, which is getting all of the headlines, and that's where a lot of the focus is going. Uh, politically and the media and everything like that and it lets clips kind of fly under the radar in a certain way because the the monetary figures look pretty low in comparison uh there's not a lot of pressure on them from the public scrutiny aspect so it does give us a nice couple of years here uh to let this develop out of the spotlight in a way and i'm i'm wondering if you have any uh thoughts about the interaction between those two programs and whether it's a benefit or a drawback that that they are kind of uh, in this relationship that they are right now, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a benefit way more than a than a drawback. The uh, upcoming fall league meeting, our annual meeting, is uh, late uh, yeah late October, and the one of one day of the meeting is going to be focused on on the Artemis program, um, along with how clips dovetails into that. We're going to have a presentation by the two people who are actually flying and then a panel discussion by all or most of the clip, clips providers as part of the, under the umbrella of the Artemis session. So I'll know a whole lot more, more after that. My, you know, if I'm, a, if I have any fear, it's uh, to the cost of the Artemis program as it's laid out. And, and again, whether the nation is going to have the will to continue to fund that. Um, I think that remains to be seen, but with or without it, uh, I think clips uh, can and will go on. If you had a piece of advice, you know, when you're in these, these meetings or discussions, if you had a piece of advice for three different groups, one for the actual people flying these missions, one for NASA and their handling of clips, and one for the uh, outside of NASA payload providers, what would that piece of advice be for those three different groups? Wow, 
I may have to ponder that, ponder that, <laughs> ponder that a bit. But something we've fallen short on, I think, in in our thinking and in our in our uh, in our exploration is paying paying uh, closer attention to economic geology, and that's the the production of, I guess, resource exploration and exploitation. Um, not always necessarily ISRU, but ISRU is, is surely a, a big component of that. Um, when I was in oil and gas in the, I think it was the late 1970s, uh, there was a SEG conference in New Orleans. Uh, SEG is Society of Exploration Geophysicists. And uh, NASA was there to talk to the conference on the subject of you know, what's geology or what are geologists going to be doing in the next 25 years? And the thrust of that really was uh, economic geology. They're, we're going to be exploring off-planet for uh, for resources and mining, and and that likely that work would be done by the, the major energy pr producers like Shell and ExxonMobil and things of that nature. Well, 25 years has come and gone. It seemed like a long time, but nothing along those lines has has been done. Uh, and to further, I don't know that that kind of thinking is is happening yet. It's going to whether it'll happen, you know, in in my lifetime or in the next 50 years. I I I don't know, but. It, at, at some point, it's going to happen. Yeah, and there had certainly been a couple of companies that sprouted up and then uh, have now either moved business models or shut down entirely, uh, focused on you know resources out in the solar system. It did always seem slightly premature from my perspective, and it seems yeah. like we would want to have this kind of CLIPS program up and running before we're really able to start thinking about um, those sort of missions. Uh, so you know maybe there is one of these providers on this list that as in, an intention towards that, that are using CLIPS as kind of a springboard, which would be pretty interesting if, if that is the case. Yeah, and, and the model that seems to work on, on this planet, whether it's for oil and gas production or, or mining, is a, a small company will, will uh, prove the claim, prove the, the potential, and then the, a larger company will buy them. So it would, perhaps that's how these major companies um, get involved. I had a, an opportunity to talk with some folks at Shell Research and Development. We were There was a panel discussion in 2017 on a completely different topic, but um, at dinner afterwards, I had a chance to ask them if they were looking at, at off-planet resource and energy production. And uh, they looked at me like I was from the moon, <laughs> but <laughs> but they thought, you know, maybe, I, I don't think they thought it was a completely crazy idea, but I did learn that they're not doing it. Uh, the only company I'm aware of, and I have, this isn't an area I've spent a lot of time researching, but I, I did work with a fellow at, like I said earlier, at Caterpillar, and Caterpillar was spending some of their own money, money on, uh, excavation and and operating machinery on on the surface of the moon uh and i found that to be pretty interesting i feel like they're aren't they partnered with somebody uh in the clips program i feel like i've seen their logo 
on some press release in the recent time here. You know, uh, that may be. I I can't say for sure. Yeah, I can't place it in memory, but I I feel like they're somewhere in this in this mix of things that we're talking about. Uh, and that, that I always thought that was cool that a company, because uh, it makes a lot of sense for for what they do here on Earth that they would be interested in. You know, the the time that we are moving out to other planetary surfaces, it makes a lot of sense for them to be involved and interested. And I was very happy to see something like that that wasn't you know some futuristic company talking about how many trillions of dollars are going to be made in mining, but is much more closer to reality in terms of, well, you're going to need an excavator if you're going to do anything interesting on another surface. Yeah, I, I, I agree. They've, uh, they, on this planet, they've got a commercially available telerobotic, uh, telerobotically operated excavators and haulers. So that they already know how to do it. Yeah. They just need to, Make it work a little farther from home. Yeah, you know, it's the it's the question of having somebody that wants to pay for that. One of my last questions here for you before I let you get on with your day out there. Um, have you watched in the last couple of months? There's been a couple of attempts to land small landers on the moon in, in Israel's Bereshit, and then just last week, uh, India's Chandrayaan two and Vikram. Uh, have you followed along with those missions? And do you have any thoughts on you know they both ended in apparent failure at this point? Um, do you have any thoughts on how that? played out for those nations and how seeing two small landers might impact things back home with the CLIPS program. Yeah, so I'm a geologist, not an engineer, so I always think these things are are engineering problems. And I've been told by uh, my friends uh, in engineering at Boeing when, when I was working with them, the things that I always thought were simple are, are not all that simple. So I think it's just been been proven again that um, you know landing, even landing on the surface of the moon, though we we've done it a number of times, is still not all that simple. Um, I didn't really follow those programs other than to hope for their success and then feel their disappointment when they when it didn't happen. It feels like nice setting for Eclipse to me. You know, to, to the message has been sent from members of NASA that. Not all of these missions are going to work out. There, there's going to be some hard times up on the moon. So, you know, having the setting of two nations that, that didn't quite make it to the surface, I feel like, you know, it sends home that message a little bit and might make things a little easier for the messaging side of NASA. Uh, maybe, maybe. It would, be a, it would be a bad day if, if these CLIPS missions don't succeed. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. I admire your confidence, and I, I really hope that uh, that is the case when we see it play out in the long run. Well, I was just going to say, I've been working with um, all of these groups for a number of years, and there's, there's a lot of uh, talent um, and a lot of hard work that's going into them. So uh, I would be more surprised if they didn't succeed than I will be when they do. That is a great place to leave the conversation, Kurt. Is there anywhere on the internet that you would like to send the listeners to follow along with, with any of your work? Um, I think the, the League website, I, I can't like throw out the... Uh, uh, well, yeah, the, the URL is lpi.usra.edu slash leag. And there... Everything is posted from the league meetings, from the CAB meetings, uh, the CAB membership, charters, things of that nature. I think that's probably the best place to go. Awesome. I will, I will put that link in the show notes so everyone can uh, check that out and 
hopefully when a couple of these missions start flying, we can have you back on to celebrate the success of uh, the first couple of clips missions. Yeah, that, that would be great. And I would, uh, you know, you ask a question about Artemis and clips. I would definitely pay attention to what's going on at this year's uh, league meeting um, to help clarify those things. Awesome. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for coming on the show, joining us for a little while this morning. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, you too, Anthony. Thank you for inviting me. All right. That'll do it for us today here on Main Engine Cutoff. Thank you so much to everyone who supports this show over at MainEngineCutoff.com slash support. This is 100% listener supported. So if you like what you're hearing, head over there to support the show. This episode of Main Engine Cutoff was produced by 39 executive producers. Chris, Pat, Matt, George, Brad, Ryan, Nadim, Peter, Donald, Lee, Chris, Warren, Bob, Russell, John, Maritz, Joel, Jan, David, Grant, Mike, David, Mintz, Eunice, Rob, Tim Dodd, the Everyday Astronaut, Frank, Rui, Julian, Lars, Tommy, Adam, Sam, and six anonymous executive producers. Thank you all so much for your support making this episode possible. Once again, if you want to help support the show, join that list. Head over to MainEngineCutoff.com slash support. If you've got any questions or thoughts for me or for Kurt or whoever, email them. Anthony at MainEngineCutoff.com is the email or on Twitter if you would prefer that, at WeHaveMiko. And for now, thanks again for listening. Thanks for all of your support as always, and I will talk to you next week.